Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Hello, everyone. Well, here we are, episode four. I'm happy to say that it seems like the subscriber count is growing, and that's that's great. Um, so get out there, spread the word. If you like the show, uh, let your friends know about it. Uh, if you don't, well, as usual, uh, comments and questions, uh, email or audio format, send them all to podcast at talkingreef.com. Or go to the website, www.talkingreef.com, and uh, post them in the discussion forums under podcast feedback. I have noticed that there have been a few more registered members to the website, uh, which is also great. Uh, but the other thing is I haven't really seen any discussion going on there. So just as a reminder, the forums are open to all the listeners, so feel free to use them. One other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, as many of you may already know, on our website, uh, there is a poll asking for you to vote for the show. Uh, basically give a rating uh, how you think it is, whether it's great, so-so, needs work, or whatever. Um, everything's been great. I've noticed uh, we've had seven uh, ratings for great and one for so-so, which is awesome that people are out there uh, casting their vote. I am interested to see what you guys think about it. There's a little button that you can comment there, so if you feel the podcast is great, feel free to leave a comment. Uh, more importantly, if you don't think it's great, uh, I would really like to hear why you feel that way. Hopefully I can adjust the show and get better information or better topics in here for you. Um, as usual, I'm always open to topics and suggestions. Right now I'm kind of working from a, a little list that I've built and I'll slowly be working through a, a series of topics. I think I've got about, uh, probably about 10 or 12 that I'm slowly going to work through. Uh, a lot of them are more advanced topics, so I'm kind of looking for some uh, beginner, intermediate topics to kind of fill in for now because I don't know if I want to get into the, to the more advanced topics yet. I want to try to give some of the beginner uh, hobbyists or some of the new listeners a little bit of chance to catch up, so I'd like to try to discuss some of those type of topics to kind of hopefully get everybody on the same playing field a little bit. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, shoot me your information, and uh, we'll try to work with it. And at this time, I'm going to go ahead and start the question and answer session. Well, I'm happy to say that we finally received our first show question and comment. Uh, I'm going to read through the question uh, and then go through and try to answer uh, the, the questions that were raised. Uh, so this email came from Alex Rodriguez from New, G New Jersey. basically says, uh, I heard your third show and was impressed. Thank you. He goes on to say that uh, he's relatively new to podcasting and has enjoyed the show and heard my plead for questions. He has been a freshwater Aquarius for about 20 years and has had many successes. He goes on to say, however, I haven't had the nerve or the time or patience to try a reef tank. I think I feel intimidated with all the information and expense that comes with the hobby. Then he asks, could you outline the basics to start off a beginner in one of your future shows. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Well, Alex, um, I did reply in an email, and basically what I had stated was I actually went over a lot of the basics in the first podcast episode. That one is still out there. It is on the website, and it's also available in the podcast feed. So if you're subscribing through a podcatching client like iPodder or iTunes or iPodder X, 
that should be available there for download. So I would highly recommend that you go through that. Listen to the first and second and third podcasts. Uh, well, the third you did listen to. Sorry. Uh, but the first podcast does outline uh, a lot of the basics in introduction to a marine fish tank. Then the second podcast actually goes into some good detail regarding the nitrogen cycle. Both uh, are going to be real things, for, real good things for you to, to listen to. So you know, at this point, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of outline uh, what I discussed in the first podcast. I'm going to kind of go through my show notes and elaborate just a little bit. Uh, since I did cover a lot of this in, in some more detail in the first show, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but I will recap that. Basically, uh, some of the main points that I touched on is uh, that freshwater and saltwater tanks are very different. There is definitely more expense in a saltwater tank. Now, how much more expensive really has a lot to do with how you set up your tank. Uh, they're definitely more expensive no matter what you do, but you can try to curve some of those costs if you are a more do-it-yourself type person and you can build a stand or you can make your, your do your own plumbing or, you know, a lot more. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities when it comes to the DIY stuff or the do-it-yourself stuff. Saltwater tanks do require more care and uh, more attention. They are not impossible. They're not. They're not usually hard uh, unless you get into the more complex reef tanks. They they can get a bit challenging, especially when you're trying to deal with a, a problem or something that's happening in the tank. But overall maintenance, you know, it's it's definitely more than a freshwater tank, but it's by no means impossible. Um, it does take dedication. It's something that you do have to be committed to. Uh, if you're not committed to being able to lay down the proper funds up front to do everything the right way and you're not going to have the dedication on an ongoing basis to keep up the tank and take care of your uh, daily, weekly, monthly maintenance type stuff that you have to do, uh, it's probably something you might want to rethink. It is a very rewarding thing to do. Uh, I, I totally love it, as you can tell since I'm doing this show. <laughs> but it does require some dedication. You know, As I covered earlier, uh, and I think in one of the earlier shows, the amount of work that has to go into it is not enormous. The main point is that the amount, the stuff that you ha have to do, you do have to continuously do, and you have to make sure that it gets done when it needs to be done, or you're gonna, you know, you'll start running into some problems. Another important thing to understand is the nitrogen cycle. That is a key component in the keeping of a saltwater marine tank. As I mentioned, I cover that in some pretty deep detail in the number two podcast, episode two. So make sure you check that out, and you can go through that to try to get an understanding there. Some of the other things that are different are the filtration. This can be very different than a freshwater tank. One of the hardest things for a switcher to come to grips or come to terms with is the, in a freshwater tank you always have a mechanical filter. Um, you have a hang on back or canister style filter and it's got your filter pads and your carbon and what have you. But in a lot of cases in a saltwater tank you do not need that. And like I said that was one of the hardest things for me to come to terms with and it took me probably about six months to get up enough nerve to try it. Not to say that that's the only way to do it. There are definitely other types of filters. There are hang-on-back filters that you can use in a, in a saltwater tank. There are many types of canister filters. But just to go ahead and kind of get a, a different feel for some of the other stuff is uh, you want to look into uh, the use of a sump or a refugium. The other things that you want to check out are a protein skimmer. Protein skimmer is probably 
one of the most important pieces of your filtration system. Like I said, there's the filtration is a little bit different, so I definitely need to do a little bit of homework there. Also, lighting. Lighting can be very different, just to kind of recap the different types of lighting, depending on the type of tank and the type of inhabitants that you have in your tank. It could be normal output fluorescence, uh, the more, little bit more powerful power compact fluorescence, uh, high output or very high output fluorescence, and then the uh, top of the line, which would be the metal halide lighting. I gave those kind of in order of weakest to strongest. I would recommend at least uh, power compact lighting unless it's strictly going to be fish only. The power compacts are usually relatively inexpensive. Probably cost you, depending on the, the size, uh, 100, 200 bucks or so for a for a decent set. Uh, maybe more if you're going to go with a more name brand set or for a, a longer hood. So do a little bit of shopping there. There's some good deals online. Just to elaborate a little bit more, there, you know, again, there's some normal maintenance that needs to be done. You got your normal water changes that have to be done. Uh, my basic recommendation in a new tank or a tank that's just starting out is you want to do them weekly, 10% water change weekly. You don't want to do a whole lot more than that. Try to keep it about 10, maybe 15%, but I say 10% weekly. Uh, as you get to know your tank more, then you won't have to do it as much. The other thing is your water testing. You want to make sure you test for your pH levels, your nitrate, your nitrite, uh, ammonia, salinity, temperature, stuff like that. I go into a lot more detail in the, uh, I think it was episode two, uh, on those type of things also. There's also, if you decide to use some type of mechanical filter, you're also going to have to go through the constant battle of keeping your filter media clean. Having a, a dirty or clogged filter not only causes your filter not to run well, but it also creates areas in your tank that promote the growth of certain types of bacteria. Uh, again, I covered that a lot more in episode two, so I won't go any farther into that. Some of the other important things, um, kind of the equipment lineup here. First of all, you want to start with a, a fish tank of at least 55 gallons. That's my recommendation for anybody that's new to the hobby. Uh, small tanks, while they may be a lower cost up front, uh, they are much more difficult to take care of and they do require a, a lot more maintenance to them to keep them up and healthy. So basically, if this is something you're thinking you're going to do, uh, get the biggest tank that you can afford like I said, my minimum recommendation is uh, a 55 gallon. Uh, the other items that you're going to need are you're going to need uh, live sand. You're going to want uh, about one to two pounds per gallon of live sand. What you want to do is try to create a, a four to six inch sand bed. Again, I do go with the, the deep sand bed model. Uh, there are other models, but these are the, the ones that I, I'm familiar and I'm most used to, and those are the ones that I recommend. Also, the live rock. Your live rock's about the same. You want about one to two pounds per gallon. One of the tricks here, which I don't think I covered before, is this doesn't all have to be live rock. What you can actually do is pick up a good portion of base rock. Uh, it's usually a lot cheaper. Uh, in comparison, live rock can cost anywhere from 6 to $10 a pound. And then the base rock can be usually around a dollar, dollar fifty, maybe two dollars a pound. So as you can see, it's significantly less to use the base rock. Basically, uh, this is something that I actually did in one of my last tanks. Is I put in a lot of base rock, and probably about ten pounds of live rock to. And what it'll actually do is it'll seed the base rock, and within a couple months, that that base rock will actually start culturing the right types of bacteria and then you'll see the little feather dusters and growing on it and the 
types of algae growing on it. And basically what will happen is it will become, quote-unquote, live rock. Some of the other important things to mention is uh, you do not want to aerate the tank. Uh, a lot of power heads and uh, such have uh, venturi valves, which will inject uh, streams of air into the water. I discussed that more in one of the earlier podcasts, so you can check out there for why. Uh, but it's something you don't want to do. Um, also, air stones. They're not needed. Don't waste the time or the money. Protein skimmers, I already mentioned, very important to have. Uh, your lights, which I already covered. Uh, power heads are another important thing to have. Uh, marine saltwater tanks, it's important to maintain a constant current in your tank. You usually want to shoot for about 15 to 20 tanks an hour. So if you have a 55-gallon tank, you want the accumulative gallons per hour of all of your power heads and pumps, basically anything that's moving water. You want that to be equal to about 15 to 20 times the size of the tank. Okay, so that pretty much covers the the bare essentials, the basics. Um, a lot of this stuff I went over in the previous shows, so I don't want to waste a whole lot of time going into it uh, in depth. So, like I said before, go back and check out the, the previous shows, and you'll get a lot more information about the stuff that I discussed here. That's the end of the question and answer session. I've already, I've only received one question, so um, at this point we're going to move on to uh, one of the first topics. So for the first topic, uh, going through some of that previous stuff, I, I thought that bringing up some discussion about your tank current would be a good idea. So it's important to understand your tank current, why you need it, and what it does. The tank current is important in a fish-only tank and in a reef tank. So don't think that just because you've got a fish-only tank, it's not as important or you don't need it, because uh, you do. Um, current is generated in a tank by using power heads, hang-on-back filters, uh, hang-on-back skimmers, uh, sump return lines, anything like that. Basically, anything that's in the tank that's going to generate water movement. Um, when planning the tank, you should also plan for this step and make sure you understand it. Um, basically, what you need to look at are the ratings in all your pumps. In-tank uh, in pumps, um, hang-on-back filters, hang-on-back skimmers, they're all fairly similar. Basically, what you need to do is check the rating on the pump itself. Uh, they all have many type of in-tank pump. Uh, it's going to have a rating, usually on the box, sometimes right on the pump itself. Hang on back filters. Uh, the box will usually have a rating telling you how many gallons per hour the, the filter will generate. Hang on back skimmers usually have a, a powerhead type pump attached to them, and that's what is actually used to move the water through the skimmer. And again, those are those are all very similar. What you want to look for is the gallons per hour rating. For hang-on-back filters and skimmers, you need to reduce the amount a little bit to actually to get the actual number. Basically, with a hang-on-back filter, if you've got a pump on it that's going to, if they say your hang-on-back filter generates 400 gallons per hour, that's the optimum flow rate of the pump that is on the filter. So when you add the filter media into the filter, your pads or whatever that's in there, um, you've got to understand that that's going to actually restrict the water flow a little bit. So if the pump's actually rated at, say, 400 gallons per hour, uh, with the filter media in there, you're going to want to take a little bit off. You're going to want to say, okay, it's probably more like 350 or maybe 325 or so. Skimmers are not as bad, but they, they're also the same way. Water going through the skimmer and such, it, usually, it has a tendency to reduce the overall flow of it. So uh, just kind of take that into account a little bit. Um, although the end results don't need to be exactly dead on, 
um, but what you want to do is just you know understand that uh, some of those filters are in, in skimmers and stuff they actually don't output exactly what they say they do when they're in use so one of the other things is the sump pump you know the pump that comes from a sump tank or a fugium um, usually you'll have a fairly large pump in there like a mag pump or a sometimes a larger Rio or something like that um, these pumps are usually ra have a higher rating, say 700 gallons per hour, 900, 1300 gallons per hour. Um, but w one of the other important aspects to remember when looking at your gallons per hour rating is something that's referred to as the distance or head. So what they'll say is pump will have a gallons per hour rating of 900 gallons at zero head, which basically means that the water current that's coming out of the pump right at the outlet is going to be 900 gallons per hour. But uh, if you add a hose onto that or extend the distance of it, that force is actually going to be reduced. And like I said, this is important when you're dealing with return pumps, pumps coming from a sump or from a uh, refugium, because usually those tanks will sit underneath your main display tank. And what will happen is you'll have a two or three or four foot return line that actually goes up to the main tank. So what you want to do is you want to look at the you know, the details of that pump and you want to look at the rating of that pump at a two or three or four foot head. So for example, let's say we've got a return pump in our sump tank that's got a three foot hose attached to it that actually spills into the tank and that's our return line. Uh, the pump's rated at 900 gallons per hour at zero head but it's rated at 500 gallons at a four foot head. So when you're doing your total calculations, what you need to do is count that pump as generating 500 gallons per hour of current. Um, this will help make sure that your, your overall numbers are accurate. Another important thing, uh, fish only tanks and reef tanks do have slightly different requirements. In a fish only tank, you do not need as much current as you would in a reef tank. Um, basically, my recommendations are as a fish only tank is you need about 10 tanks per hour in current. Now, if it truly is a fish only tank, you do have some leeway here. Uh, you can probably get away with a little bit less. But going into a reef tank or as you start to keep more invertebrates, more coral, basically anything that can't move in the tank to catch its food, uh, it, it's important to make sure that you have enough current to sustain those. Your tank current actually accomplishes two main goals. Uh, I'm going to cover these two goals and uh, go into a little bit of detail, but not a whole lot. If you have more detailed questions, feel free to shoot me a message and I can definitely go into more detail. Basically, the first main thing, as I was just discussing, is for your immovable or non-mobile uh, inhabitants of your tank, such as feather dusters or sponges or coral or anything like that that cannot move in the tank, they're going to be reliant on the water current to bring food to them uh, if they catch you know freeborn food particles that are in the water so if you've got a little feather duster sitting in the front of your tank you have to understand that you need the water current to pass the water over the feather duster so that it can actually take the nutrients out of the water if you don't have enough current it basically won't bring enough food to the coral or the feather duster invertebrate or what have you and can actually cause them to starve and die. So as you get into a reef tank, um, that's why it's more important to get up to 15 to 20 tanks per hour to make sure that all of your inhabitants are getting the proper amount of food and such. 
Yeah, and when you start dealing with some of the more advanced corals, the hard corals and stuff like that, then you will actually easily top 20 tanks per hour. Some of the people that keep, you know, all SPS tanks or real hard coral tanks uh, with a lot of hard coral in them will actually surpass 20 tanks per hour easily. Some may go up to 20, 25, uh, even 30 or 40 gallons. I've actually heard of a person that was pushing almost 60 tanks per hour in current in because the the amount of SPS coral that they had in there. Um, I'll get into the types of coral a little bit later. So it, it's, it is more important in a reef tank. Um, one of the other important aspects of current is it helps maintain a proper metabolism in the tank. Uh, much like your body, um, this little ecosystem also has a sort of metabolism. Basically, the current helps uh, ma make sure that the bacteria in the tank can metabolize the uh, nutrients in the tank that they need to, to make sure that they're producing the right amount of nitrates and nitrates uh, at the correct levels and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, basically, uh, there's a lot of other things that can play into the metabolism of the tank, uh, specifically the temperature, the overall temperature of the tank. Uh, too high temperature can speed up the metabolism of the tank, uh, too low can slow it down, and so on and so forth. So, um, like I said, there's a lot of different things that can go into this uh, so-called metabolism, uh, but current does play a role in that along with a, a couple other things. So basically that's a quick rundown of tank current, what it is, why you need it. Um, so basically what you need to do is add up your total gallons per hour from all your pumps. Uh, make sure that you get the accurate number, include the distance on any hoses or on any return lines that you may have so you get a, a total accurate number. Again, the fish only tank you want to be around 10 gallons per or 10 tanks per hour and for a reef tank, you want to be closer to 20 tanks per hour. Uh, and then basically you have to make your own judgment depending on what you're keeping. But those are some general guidelines that you, you may want to stick to. So at this point, what we're going to do is we're going to go on to the second topic. I was mentioning uh, some of the terms like SPS coral and stuff like that. And I'm just going to take a minute to kind of describe what that stuff is. The second topic, we're going to go into a little bit more detail about the different types of coral that you have in your tank. Um, I know this is probably a little bit more of a uh, an advanced, not advanced, but a little more intermediate. Um, so I'm going to try to mix it up a little bit with different different style uh, topics. Basically, corals are generally classified in the hobby into three different classifications. At the low end, what you have is referred to as soft coral. Soft corals are the, those types that do not have any type of skeletal structure. Um, basically they are all tissue. Those are usually the easier corals to keep. They are normally set as more beginner style corals. These are going to be corals such as uh, zanias, zoo polyps, button polyps, stuff like that. Um, like I said, they're generally the easier corals to keep, although there are some uh, of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. There are some that can be rather difficult. The next major sec, uh, group of coral are referred to as LPS, which stands for large polyp stonies. These are the types of cor corals that have large polyp structures. These are going to be items such as bubble coral, frog spawn, pagoda cups, um, stuff like that. Basically, they have a base skeletal structure, um, but they usually have large uh, large polyps. Uh, many, or in fact most, LPS coral do benefit from spot feeding. Take for example a 
plate coral. Um, those do benefit greatly from being spot-fed, placing a, a piece of shrimp near their mouth. Most of them will readily take uh, many different types of food. Um, again, that's things like, uh, as I mentioned, the pagoda cup, uh, hammer coral is another one, frog spawn, uh, plate coral. So there's, those are some of the common ones. There's many, many, many different types of coral, uh, LPS coral out there that are available for reef hobbyists. The third type of coral, which is the more advanced, usually the more advanced type of coral, is referred to as an SPS coral or small polyp stony. Again, there's a distinction in the hobby between the LPS and the SPS coral. Uh, just a little tidbit, in a scientific classification or in the scientific community, community, there's very little, if any, distinction between LPS coral and SPS coral. They are pretty much considered the, the, same, the same thing. Um, but in the hobby, because they do have uh, very different uh, care requirements, we do classify them different. So the SPS coral, um, as I mentioned, are the small polyp stonies. Um, these are the type of coral like montipores, acropores, uh, and stuff like that. These are the types that usually have very high current needs, very, very strong light needs. Um, you know, basically as I go through these, I'm listing them from low to high. The soft corals ha usually have the lower light needs. They're usually the easier to care for. And then going on, the, the LPS corals, um, most of them have medium some are low, some are high, but for the most part, they're medium, light need. They do require a little bit more care sometimes with feeding and stuff like that. Um, and then again, onto the SPS coral. Uh, those have usually always have very high light needs requiring, at the very minimum, VHO lighting, preferably metal halide lighting. Um, they do require the very high tank currents, which is where we get into the 20, 30 gallon or tanks per hour in tank current. Basically, that's a little bit of a rundown of the different types of corals. Um, there's a lot more detail, which I'm planning on going into in a future episode. Uh, basically, I'm thinking of doing uh, a couple different shows or at least specific topics covering each of the types of corals. So I'll do a, a topic specifically on uh, soft corals, another one specifically on uh, the LPS corals, and another one specifically on the SPS corals. So that about wraps up. Uh, this episode. Uh, I just wanted to throw in real quick uh, just to let you know I am attempting some new editing techniques for this episode. Uh, hopefully it sounds a little bit better. The episode will flow a little bit better and stuff like that. So uh, as usual um, I'm always looking for your questions. Uh, I'd like to try to get some more people's questions in here. I'd like to be able to spend a little bit more time discussing uh, specific things such as that or being able to dig deeper into a specific topic. I can't really do it right now just because I'm trying to cover some general topics, hoping that I will get some more specific questions brought in. So that'll be about all for today. Um, as usual, make sure that you send comments and feedback to podcast at talkingreef.com and make sure you visit the website www.talkingreef.com and you can use the, the voting bar to cast your vote for the show. Also, check out the discussion forums and go ahead and throw your two cents in there or go up and start a, a conversation offline. So that's about all for tonight. Talk to you next time.